0: Praise the Lord. Hey, turn your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I got a little picture I want to show you. Greetings from Rogers, Arkansas. My grandson is turning four on Monday. Four months. Yeah, four months. Come on, they knew that. Turning four months on Monday, we just got to go see him, and my daughter-in-law texted me. We saw him last weekend. My daughter-in-law said he still has a little wheeze and a little cough, and Linnell said, I'm going back. (laughs) <laughs> hey, we've been doing a series called Pursuit, and there's a picture. Well, I don't, I'd like to kind of leave that up, but, but the, I want you to see these men, these women going up a mountain. That mountain is a picture of life. It is the picture of the Christian life. We're not doing it alone. We're going with people, but we're going to the top. We're going to the summit. It's not always easy. It's a hard path sometimes to follow, but it's worth it when you get to the top. And that is, I hope, the, your heart towards your pursuit of God. In this series, we've had two, two messages. The first was a mindset message, the pursuit of discipleship. It's a message that basically encourages you to not just be someone who believes in God, but a follower of Christ. I'm a believer but I, first, but I'm a follower in my daily life. Last week, we talked about uh, the pursuit of God himself, that God, the creator, the sustainer of life, the, the risen Savior... The one who said he'd never leave us or forsake us. The one who said the Holy Spirit would be with us. Last week we talked about our pursuit of him and our personal relationship. That God wants to have a more meaningful relationship with you and you don't have to cross your legs, a light incense and go, mmm for that to happen. God wants to communicate with us. God wants to be more real, more meaningful in the days ahead. And the scripture promises if we draw near to God, God will draw near or come closer to us. Now, this morning, we want to continue in this, the pursuit of significance. By significance, I mean doing something with our life that will last for eternity. And let me say it again. You and I, all we have ever known is something called time. We had a beginning. Mine started April 24th, 1957. Yours started at another day. But time began in that instance, and it will go to some end on this earth, and then you and I will step into eternity And what we do on earth has an impact on our eternal destiny. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it only makes sense to go to wise people to understand how we might relate to eternity. Solomon, the second wisest man who ever lived on the earth, gave us a framework for living life. He told us this, and Solomon experienced everything life has to offer. He tried to find happiness and meaning in life through, through building buildings, acquiring knowledge, through relationships that he had, through the exercise of power, uh, through pleasure, through hap- you name it. He did it all. And when he closed his book, he said this, the end of the matter and all has been heard. In other words, I've shared with you everything about life's possible meaning. And here's what he said, fear God and keep his commandments. For This is the whole duty of man vastly different from what we hear in our world today in terms of worldview and purpose. He said, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Now, when we hear the word judgment, it's often a downer, but there is a positive aspect of judgment. I'm going to use the phrase today, reward today. If you happen to have kids that have gone to high school And they're in high school, there's always an awards banquet at the end. They award award the athletes, they give awards for uh, the science department, awards for the math department, awards for the best attendance, and there's a recognition that what you did this year is worth it and we're going to reward you. And this is the way that I want you to look at this day of reward that Solomon told us that the way to live life is live with eternity in mind, and that, my friends, is the definition of a life of significance. And this is radically different what you hear taught and espoused in the world today. In our media, uh, in many school classrooms, you'll hear things like this. Uh, the purpose of life, according to a man named Ed Victor, a businessman, he says the whole purpose of life is to make yourself happy. Uh, Here's another one. It's an American novelist, T.C. Boyle. He says, life's tragic and absurd. None of it has any purpose at all. Contrast what he said to what Solomon said, and here's one that I am familiar with, the actress Shirley MacLaine. I think of life itself now as a wonderful play that I have written for myself. And so my purpose is to have the utmost fun playing my part. Now, I suggest to you that these philosophies of life are in opposition to what the Bible would teach us. There is no thought of God and no thought of eternity. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe Solomon. I'm going to live his way. I'm going to live each day mindful of God, looking forward to eternity, and that's the way I'm going to live my life. And there's two questions I want to ask you in this message. I've entitled, The Pursuit of Significance. What are you doing with your life that will last for eternity And secondly, are you investing your life in things that have significance? Are you wasting your life on those things that are insignificant? Let's explore it together. Um, Let's begin first in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we contrast the temporary and the eternal, the insignificant and the significant. And I'm attaching significance to eternity because I don't know about you, everything I've ever done in life, even those things I really look forward to, as soon as it happens, it's over and it's gone. We started Retailers are getting ready right now for Christmas next year. Don't you dare put up a Christmas tree until Thanksgiving. There's something wrong with Christmas trees in August and September. I mean, uh, I mean, how many would agree with that? How many still have your Christmas tree up? Let me see your hand. <laughs> Yeah, look across the room here. There are several. I saw some Christmas lights the other day, and we're still up. Peter has his up. Okay. I love Christmas, but the point is, it comes and it goes, and it's over. And all the thoughts you put into it. I had someone tell me that they spent a half a day looking for the perfect gift for a child, and when they gave it, they came to realize that the child already had one. And somehow they had to explain how much they loved the gift, but they would never use it. There's nothing evil about these things. There's nothing wrong with the temporary. But yet, if we give our whole life to it, we've lost what's truly lasting. Let me contrast this. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul the Apostle said, This light, momentary affliction. Now, I have to pause right there because Paul became a believer and everywhere he went, he was persecuted. People would throw rocks at him. They would bash him with sticks. They'd throw him in jail. They would try to kill him. Uh, Ultimately, he did lose his life in Rome for Christ. But he said all these things were light and momentary or temporary or insignificant. He said this. He said, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So what he's saying is any difficulty, any sacrifice that I might live as a Christian today is going to totally be worth it. Now, here's the important verse. As we look not to things that are seen, the temporary, but we look to things that are unseen. You and I are looking to a real God we cannot see, a real heaven, a real promise of eternity. And he says, what we see will only last a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. I'm here to tell you duck season is going to be over next Sunday. (laughs) I am grieving already. We started with a drought, then we had a flood, then we had a freeze, and I don't have many ducks. But its it comes and it goes. It's, tempor- it's not bad. So when I use the word temporary, it's not bad. I mean, for example, things like television. Television's not bad. I have two nice big screen TVs in my home. I got a phone that watches TV when I'm exercising. Uh, my wife has an iPad that she watches when she's doing whatever. I mean, TV is not sinful, but it's temporary. Now, now, there's some evil things that's on TV, obviously, but, but just, just TV, social media, the same thing. And, and we can invest hours of time in it, but when it's over, it's over. But it has a loss of eternity. Let me show you a picture here of a couple of church members I'm so proud of. Yeah. Yeah. Artie and Karen here, would you stand up? Go ahead and stand up here. What I want to know is how that man got such a cute wife. Artie, how did you do that? Was it money? What was it? Well, let me tell you why I'm celebrating today. They were given a community award. It was called the Martin Luther King Community Kindness Award um, for working with homeless people. Now, look at what you're doing right now. Unsolicited, you applauded. What you were doing is you were giving some kind of approval, some reward. Do you know that's what's going to happen in heaven on judgment day for the believer that's invested their life in eternity? you know that there's going to be angels rejoicing? Billions of people up there are going to be standing for every prayer that you prayed. Come on, every nickel, every dollar, whatever you did. Anytime you shared your faith, how I many you know every time you stood for Christ, when you volunteer at the crisis pregnancy center, and when you share the gospel with a woman that's in trouble, how I many you know God remembers all these things and God's going to reward us one day? But I want you to think of significance. Some, for some reason, God just laid a burden on their heart to help homeless people. I didn't ask them to do that. No staff member did. The Holy Spirit, just like he gives you things to do and me things that burden me, and all they did was say yes. And they just started looking, and before you know it, they find that homeless people don't have a way to wash their clothes. So they organized a, a, a community clothes washing uh, experience on Saturdays. Uh, they got the church involved. We started helping with our resources and things. Before you know it, they need toiletries. And then she set a, a burden for young women that were, were, were homeless or near-homeless moms with young children by themselves And the church got involved, and we bought a home called Grace House. And now there's four women with their children there that are not there forever, but they're there for about a year to help them get back on their feet, to help them get a job, get an education, so they can go and live a normal life and then do it for somebody else. And then she's got dozens of people that are involved in helping with the process. Now, that stuff will last for eternity. That will last for eternity. Now, listen, I have some Christian fellowship in the duck blind. We're usually jabbing each other about who missed. Which do you think is going to... uh, Don't don't pick on ducks. Golfers. (laughs) No, seriously, I'm not knocking any sport. Thank God for the enjoyment that God gives us. Actually, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came so you may have and enjoy life. So the enjoyment of life is a gift from God. Come on, if you're pain-free, if you've got a little money in your pocket, if you've got vision, if you've got capacity, ability, if you've got a, a, a place to go duck hunting, please ask me and we'll enjoy it together. <laughs> but, but, but you see my point, God wants us to enjoy things, and if you don't hear anything else in the message, I want you to hear this. Our great challenge is to not let our pursuit of enjoyment consume our life with temporary things, and we miss what's truly eternal. And that's the challenge that we have. What I'm trying to get you to do today is to think about a balance in my life between doing those things that bring me joy and happiness, the work that I'm necessary that I do, but also that make sure that my life, on a regular and a consistent basis, is doing things to build the eternal kingdom of God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's look again, look ahead to this award ceremony, uh, Judgment Day. Judgment Day is going to offer great reward for those who live with eternity in mind. Now, I don't discount the side of judgment that's going to be painful for some, but I want to emphasize what we rarely emphasize. There's going to be shouts in heaven, come on now, for those that have served the Lord. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 5, We make it our aim to please Him. In other words, His pursuit up the mountain is to please the Lord. Listen, I would dare say that's why the majority of us are here this morning. We want to please the Lord. We make it our aim. It's what we strive for. It's our pursuit up the mountain. And verse 10 gives us a fact of the future you will not hear in the secular world today. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment seat, it was, it was like the judicial bench of a city court in the Roman Empire. Uh, one of my children, who I will not call by name, but uh, was speeding, and he had to make an appearance before Hoot Hathaway, the judge. And I remember dad and son walking in that fateful day, and I reached out as a friendly man that I am. I shook Hoot's hand. I shot the breeze just a minute, and all of a sudden he told me to just sit down. This was not about me. He called my son to stand up. There's a deputy there with the gun, and my son and I both realized that there are powers at work here that can do whatever they want to with us. Are you with me today? Well, judgment is a real deal. But he says, We're going to appear for this judgment seat. But here's the promise you're going to receive what's due for what you've done in your body or the life on earth, whether it's good or evil. Now, let's focus on the good this morning because what you do for Christ is going to be rewarded for eternity. This is not the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. That is the somber day in Revelation 20 where heaven and people go to heaven and hell based on whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, how does that happen, Pastor? It's by receiving Christ as your Savior. It's by looking to the one who died on the cross And coming to Him and asking for His forgiveness. Committing your life to Him. Receiving the gift of salvation and following Him. And God writes your name in the book of life. But that's where heaven and hell are determined. Salvation is not talked about here. It's rewards for faithful service. And it is a reminder that one day God is going to evaluate our lives. If I could go deeper into what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians, his first letter to this church, he said this. On judgment day fire. And again, fire is, for example, if you, if you burn, let's say we, we, we have a fireplace. We love it. We've got an insert. We're always burning wood. But when I burn that wood, uh, I'll start it with kindling that'll often have nails in it. And when I get the ashes out, there's often a handful of nails. Well, those nails are the only thing that survived the fire. All the oak, whether it's white oak or red oak or whatever it was, it's burned and all that's left is ash. But the fire didn't harm the nail. It liberated it, set it free. On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. You and I are likened to building a house. We're the builder. And this fire will show if a person's work has any value. In other words, did I invest in significance, the eternal kingdom of God... Did I lead people to Christ? Did I, did I give away Bibles? Did I, did I serve uh, in youth ministry, or whatever the case is? Did I share my faith? He said, if the work survives, in other words, the nails in that fireplace, if the motive of our heart was right, if the fruit was kingdom fruit, the scripture says that builder, which is us, will receive a reward. Verse 15, it's hard for me to understand this verse. He said, if the work is burned up, that is what we've done on this earth, and temporary pursuits or wrongful motives, the builder will suffer great loss. I don't know what that means. It says the builder will be saved. In other words, you'll go to heaven, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what it's saying is our good works will be rewarded, and somehow the evil, bad, the worthless, will somehow be punished. Perhaps it's the absence of reward. I don't know if you've ever been in an awards banquet have you ever been in an awards banquet when you worked hard and they were about to announce who won and you didn't win I had this sad experience the other day with someone I love and cared about very deeply they were competing with 79 different teams and for whatever reason the judges were against us (laughs) we worked hard I knew they did their best I knew they should have won but they didn't but every one of those members on that team wanted that award because they'd worked at it. They st- they were striving to get it. It's the most valuable player award. Well, listen, all of us have this desire, and perhaps that's what he's referring to. Let me give you a couple other scriptures here that remind you, because this is a great motivational promise. You know, perhaps you motivate your kids if you I don't know what if you cut the grass, I'll give you ten bucks, and they'll cut the grass. You know, uh, if, you, if you, I don't know, just fill in the blank. Your boss says, if you increase sales 5%, if you can increase the bottom line 5%, I'll give you half. It is something we strive towards, and the Bible promises the same. God remembers what we do, and he'll reward us for what we've done on earth. Listen, Ephesians 6 says, Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we did. First Peter 1 says, Another apostle he says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He's going to judge or reward you according to what you do. Second John, a third apostle, says, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked so hard to achieve. In other words, don't get halfway up the mountain and come back. Be diligent so you will receive a full reward. A full reward. The big trophy. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus himself says this Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So, how many know if you know what's coming in life, doesn't it make sense to prepare? How many were uh, in Texarkana uh, during uh, the snow and the ice that we had just a few days ago? I mean, it's 60 something degrees today. I walked in the house, I almost started sweating. I had to take my jacket off. But I was up in Rogers when you were having the ice. It was negative one up there. And uh, I got up one morning. I liked to exercise. I decided I'd take a walk. And I walked up the sidewalk about 100 feet and decided, Jesus, I think I'm going to go back inside today. <laughs> it's cold. It was cold out there. But guess what? I can guarantee you this, the same thing happened in Rogers happened here. When the weatherman started telling you that the bad weather is coming and roads could close and you might lose electricity, the first thing people do is run to Walmart, run to Super One, run to Albertson's, come on, and buy all the milk on the shelves and all the white bread on the shelf. Now, how many quarts of milk can you drink in a three-day period? I don't know. But but what would you do? We go to prepare. I mean, you're getting ready for it. You're planning, you're making adjustments. If, if, if we prepare for a temporary event that's over, how much more should we be preparing for that day when God's going to pass out rewards in heaven? Come on. Somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, let me take the last couple minutes and, and tell you some three very practical ways that you can live your life to find eternal significance. Um, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, If you're familiar with compound interest, they call it the miracle of compound interest. If you, How many would like to retire a millionaire? Let me see your hand. Some of you, what do you want to be, a billionaire? (laughs) Or you want to live on the street? No, come on, everybody wants to retire. A millionaire is just a girl. Well, an analyst will tell you, if you start on your 18th birthday, and if you will somehow squinch and save $177 a month And if over the lifetime, the history of the stock market has earned 8%, if every month of your life you'll put $177 in in a good growth fund, when you're 65 years old, Edward Jones will give you a check for a million dollars. Now, guess what? If you wait till 60, how many know you're going to have a huge catch-up to do? And all the older people said, I fully understand that. It's the miracle of compound interest. And I want to suggest to you that there's something known as spiritual compound interest that if you will have a lifestyle and a lifetime of good doing good works all your days, you, my friend, will have ample reward in heaven. You don't want to wait until you get older. You don't want to wait until you get married. You don't want to wait until you get out of college. Don't wait until you get a job. Don't wait until you pay off your house because there's always something else. What I'm going to encourage you to do is start these three things today. And the first one, I'll tell you this, is to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in the kingdom of God. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Now, Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable. And Matthew 25 is all about the last days and the end of time. And Matthew 25, Jesus said this. Remember, it he, he, he was a parable of the talents. Now, talent was a literal measure of money. It's like a bag of gold. Uh, but its application is, what did you do with God with what God entrusted to you? And in this parable, God gave one person five bags of gold, two bags of gold, and one bag of gold... And the two were blessed by what they did, and the one got a kick in the pants. But this will read just a little bit of it. After a long time, the master returned and settled accounts with the servants. What does that mean? Jesus is the master. Right now he's in heaven. He's been gone 2,000 years. But one one day he's going to come back and settle accounts with what his servants, you and I, have done with what he entrusted to us. Verse 20, uh, the man who'd gotten five bags of gold said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. I have gained five more. In other words, I've done something significant. I've invested in the kingdom. And the master replied, and here's what you and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful. Faithful simply means doing the same thing all the time because it's the right thing to do, being consistent. You've been faithful in a few things here in your short, temporary life, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. See, we think sometimes heaven is just sitting on a cloud playing an instrument. I am going to be a playing an instrument in heaven. I am going to be able to sing like the angels. Come on. And I'm going to be able to strum without lip singing. Right now, I can't. But heaven will be more than that. He's going to put you in charge of many things. There's activity in heaven. Come and share in your master's happiness. This parable is teaching us that on judgment day, Jesus will reward, is going to reward us for investing our time, our talent, and our treasure in His kingdom. Now, let me tell you how practical this is, and how little this costs you. Um, show me a picture here. Um, we have a little globe over here. Now, it's a part of what we do in terms of our finances. Uh, I got the financial report recently, and last year we gave over $500,000 outside the walls of this church into the community and around the world. That's $1,455 a day doing something outside the walls of the church. We take whenever you bring your tithe, that's the first thing I do when I'm paid is is I give the Lord his due, 10%. And we take whatever you give that's not designated, and we put 13% in an outreach fund. So that plus what was designated turns into fourteen fifty five a day. But one small thing is this little globe. Now I make it. I make it a point to put a dollar in that globe every time we have a service, or if I've got it in my pocket. If I don't, you know, you can't. But but and just a dollar. So, and every time it gets up to $1,000, $2,000, $4,000, which happens a couple times a year, we find somewhere where those Bibles can go. We look, ideally, for the underground church, for the persecuted church. Well, anyway, we, we, we have a man that lives in Nepal. He, he, he's, a, he's a native from Nepal, went to Bible school at Christ for the Nations, and our paths crossed. We've built a couple churches for them. Uh, remember, the earthquake came. We helped them rebuild. We sent money for that. But recently, we sent Bibles, and I asked him if he could use some Bibles. We had $2,000. Here's what he said. He said, we've sent 213 Bibles, and mind you now, these are not just to Christians like in Texarkana. You can buy, probably buy a Bible at Sam's and Lifeway and, and the grocery store. They're, they're everywhere. We're talking about places where the percentage of Christians is minimal. And in many places, you can be persecuted or even put in jail for being a Christian. So the Bible there is a precious book. If you go to places like this, they might have one Bible in a town. And they'll tear the pages out of that Bible. And everyone will share a page. It's that valuable. It's like, it's like they smuggle it like drug dealers do in prison. Well, anyway, he said, we sent 213 Bibles. It was a long distance. The carrier charge was high. We had to send it to several places. Uh, it takes a week to reach the destination. It takes a day travel. Think about this. A day travel, probably walking, for the leader to come and pick it up. The, a Bible. The senior leader will distribute it to the other leaders there. We added 30 more to the southern part of Nepal. Uh, total Bibles, 342. Thank you so much. We'll be sending photos when we receive them. Now, w- what does that do? I, I'll tell you what it did. I'll tell you what a Gideon Bible did here in, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. I was joining the military, and before we got on the airplane to go out, there was room 150 people there of young guys with long hair and been drinking, smoking pot, and living life. And uh, this guy came up, and he said, uh, little old skinny kind of dorky-looking guy, pencils in his pocket, and he said, he said uh, Jesus Christ can change your life. He said, he changed mine, he can change yours. And he said, if you'd like a Bible, you can come up here. Well, I took one. And five days later, I wrote. I had that little Bible. I wrote my name when I committed my life to Christ. It was August 15, 1976. That's what the Bible can do. What a Bible can do in the underground church, I have a friend, you know him. He's been here times, but he lives in Turkey and he ministers to the Syrian refugees and the Turkish people that are there. They're trying to wipe out Christianity in the Middle East now. The Muslims don't just say you're not welcome. They'll cut your head off. Well, he was a Muslim priest, and someone gave him a Bible, and he converted to Christianity. And then his family disowned him. They shot him, tried to kill him, people, for his stand. He came back to America, got his health back in order, and now he goes there, and he's evolved in the underground church. Are you with me today? How did that happen? Somebody gave a Bible. So a dollar, what I'm saying is your time, your talent, and your treasure, what's a dollar? What's a dollar? i tell you what a dollar can buy. We were going to Rogers, and, and we took a couple days, kind of a mini vacation, and, and I like to eat on vacation. How about you? And the problem is, I don't just eat at lunchtime. I eat at lunch and after lunch and before dinner. I mean, I mean. so we're driving. We stop at a little, a little convenience store to go to the restroom, and, and I heard this noise. It was potato logs. And they were in this warming tray, and it was, they, it was saying, over here, over here over here. And the chicken strips were saying, me too, me too, don't forget me. And the potato log says, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. So I took him. And when I took him, I could feel my blood sugar skyrocket and I could feel this grease that had probably been there for two weeks. Are you with me today? And I asked myself the question, what did I do eating this stuff for? Now listen, I'm not knocking potato logs, but all I'm saying, if all your money goes into potato logs and a dollar doesn't find its way into something significant, your life will be over, and you won't have much to show for it. Preaching better than your meaning here. Let me, let, me, let me inspire you now. How about your talents? Because some of us think, well, I didn't go to Bible school, so what could I ever do? I'll show you. You've got talents. You remember, did anybody happen to see the end of the football game between Minnesota and New Orleans? It was a miracle kind of game i got to confess, I hadn't been watching this year because of all the politics. I just decided I was not a fool with it. But my son was watching it, and here you've got Minnesota. They're ahead, and they're winning by a point or two. And all of a sudden, New Orleans marches down the field, perfect field goal, and now New Orleans is ahead. And they do the kickoff, and the clock's about to disappear. They're down to two seconds. They're 60 yards away, two seconds to go, and the quarterback happens to be a Christian. And I want you to see what he did, and it'll it'll inspire you. The ball on the steps into it. Unbelievable! Vikings now, the safety that missed the tackle is buried somewhere in the ground. They don't we don't know where he is. He, he's in a cave somewhere. He was a rookie. But here's my point. After the game, this is a ball player. After the game, Fox Sports News interviews the quarterback. And they said, said, well, what do you have to say about this? And he said, well, it was the third greatest thing that ever happened in my life. The first thing was when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And the second thing was when I married my wife. And I'll remember this play the rest of my life. (laughs) Now, listen. This weekend, I had the privilege to talk to probably a 1,000 people. He talked to hundreds of thousands or millions of people that just said there's something more important than football. Come on now. He used the platform of his life... And wherever your job is, is a platform of your life. If you're a business owner, it's a platform for ministry. It's more than just a way to get money. It's more than a way to exercise power and acclaim. It's a platform to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you will invest your time, your talent, and treasure, if you do it on a regular basis, a daily basis, a weekly basis, you're going to accumulate some good stuff on Rewards Day. Let me give you a second thing real quickly. The only thing that I can take to heaven is a soul that I've won to Christ. I cannot take my high school letterman jacket, though I know right where it is. I cannot take my turkey tail with the 11-inch beard on it. I know right where it is. I can describe the hunt. I cannot take my truck. My wife will try to take her little Prius, and it just about fit in the coffin. But, but, but she, she might try to take it to heaven, but she's not going to be able to take it. You can get that million-dollar check, come on, from your 177 every month. You can't take it with you. But what you can take to heaven is a human being that's come to Christ because you had some influence. Everywhere I go, I I, I share these little uh, uh, church invites because I know they hear the gospel here, but they have a plan of salvation on them. There was a lady, true story, uh, the Brangus feedlot when it used to be on Jefferson many years ago, Uh, I like the hamburgers there, and I'd go and eat often. And every time I'd go, after i eat, I'd pull one of these out and say, Hey, I want to give you an invitation to my church. I think you'd really like it. And after about the fourth time, uh, the waitress said, You know, I've got four of these already. (laughs) And she said, I keep them in a little jar on my desk, but if I come to church, I'll come. And lo and behold, she comes, gives her life to Christ, gets baptized, she and her family. And then shortly after that, about six months later, I think, maybe nine, her husband... Uh, 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 was working in an industrial accident and he was killed. There was a man here in the first service that told me that was my son. And what happened? Just a little gospel tract was instrumental in helping somebody meet the Lord. See, And I'm not trying to bring any acclaim to me. I'm simply saying as an example to your life. Every time you share your testimony, every prayer that you pray for a lost person, anything that you do to empower a missionary... I am so proud of our church. Missionaries in our church get the highest missions giving of anything else we do because you're committed to the world for Christ. I I had a proud moment last night. I got home and my wife was telling me, you know, if uh, uh, she's going to Burma and there's an orphanage there and there was like, I don't know, 75 kids, and these kids, it's a Christian orphanage. They don't have anything. Again, a largely non-Christian nation. So for 75 bucks, could buy a mattress for these kids, uh, clothing, uh, and I think maybe books too. So she put up pictures on the bulletin board out there, and she said more money came in than we had need of. Now what should we do? She said there's another orphanage. Maybe we can help them. That makes me proud. Listen, I could take that $75, and I could buy a doodad from Max Prairie Wings. Come on. <laughs> and, 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 and I've already got three doodads just almost like it in my cl- Nothing wrong with a doodad. Now, listen, if you, if you can afford a 100 doodads, get them all, but just make sure that you're doing something in the same fashion towards the eternal. That's right, that's right. It's not this, I'm a Christian, I can't have any fun, I have to give all my money to God. No. You're trying to find the balance, come on now, between enjoying the temporary and living for the eternal. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand. Let me close with this last little scripture, the third point of how you can practically find significance. Be obedient to the Lord and be willing to take a risk if He asks you to. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? This is something that can happen today in the Walmart. It can happen tomorrow at work. It can happen in the classroom on Wednesday. Let me read you a story. Uh, It's a believer. His name is Ananias. It's Acts chapter 9. He's an ordinary guy, just like you and I. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. In in, in the vision, it said, go over to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And Ananias said, Lord, I'm going to tell you something here, Lord, you don't know. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things he's done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. In other words, God says, and and listen, if you've been a Christian any time, if you're like me, I don't always know when the Lord's talking But sometimes I do. And I'm always faced with, am I going to say yes or am I going to say no? Well, now, in this particular case, God was asking him to do something that made him uncomfortable. It could be something as simple as you're in Albertson shopping and you're walking through the produce picking up your stuff. And the Holy Spirit tells you, go over and talk to that lady over there and tell her that it's going to be okay. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, I don't know her, and uh, she might call security on me, or she might think I'm crazy. <laughs> no, should have gone to Super 1. <laughs> but you do what Ananias did. Excuse me, ma'am, but I-, I hope you don't think this is odd. But when I saw you, I believe the Lord Jesus spoke to me to come over and tell you that it's going to be okay. And I would just like to ask you if I could pray with you. Is there something troubling you? And what would happen if she broke down in tears and said her husband's left her and she's about getting ready to end her life? And wouldn't it be amazing if she had a child who went on to become another Billy Graham? This is the story. He's authorized by the priest to arrest everyone who calls on you. But the Lord said, go. Because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. And Ananias obeyed. He went. He took the risk. He was willing to sacrifice. And he found Saul. He laid his hands on him. Mind you, now Saul had been blinded by the light, literally. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened, and then he gets up, he's baptized in water, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus. And it was this man named Saul, who later became Paul, that wrote two-thirds of this Bible. He brought Christianity to the entire Jewish world. He stood before Caesar's in Rome, and he declared the gospel. And that would not have happened, friend, had Ananias not had the courage to say yes. But can you imagine what kind of reward in heaven Paul will receive and can you also imagine, on Awards Day, after Paul's award, maybe the next one that's called up is Ananias, and Paul introduces him and says, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this brother. Wow. Brother I stand up. Yeah. Everybody give him a big hand today. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. I think so. That's the way it happens, friends. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our focus on eternal souls that are away from Christ. And our willingness to say yes to the Lord, even if it's a little risk. My friends, if we live that way, we'll stand before the Lord one day and He'll say, well done. Good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of the Lord. Come on, give Him a good hand today. We're done. Stand to your feet with me today. Hey, this was good this morning. I'm so glad you came. Honored to have you. Like we said earlier, I mean, we've got more room in the Sunday first service at 9, and you ought to try Saturday night at 6. It's a great service. I know in just a moment you're going to leave, and, you know, we've got the voter registration table out there. All you do is fill out a little card, Arkansas, Texas, if you're not registered. There's the the crisis pregnancy center table. You can get a card, sign up, volunteer, give an offering, something like that. There's the missions-minded, the little truck out there in the front, ladies. My wife's already been shopping. Yes. But... (laughs) Uh, they're going to they're going to where are they going? They're going to Thailand and uh, 25% of the proceeds. You can pop in there. But all that's going to happen. You're going to go eat. Maybe you go home or maybe you go to a cracker barrel, wherever you go. But before you leave, let me ask you this question. What are you going to do with what you heard today? What did the Holy Spirit say to you in the course of this message? Would you just bow your heads a moment? Because I simply want you to just say, Yes, Lord. Yes. Lord, we want to all say that we're grateful for the enjoyments of life. I'm grateful I can duck hunt and turkey hunt and garden. I'm grateful, Lord, I've got toys and closet full of clothes and all those things, but I don't want that to be the defining point of my life. I want to live a life of significance I know that one day there's gonna be an award ceremony in heaven and I hope it takes a long time to get through my life Lord Jesus today we all want to commit afresh and ask you to help us help us not get entangled in the world because our time our talent and treasure help us Lord to take the time when we need to to use our abilities whether on the ball field or in a a classroom with little children let us use our talents for your kingdom let us use our resources faithfully giving our tithe our offering, our bibles, mission whatever it is but Lord help us, help us not be afraid to take a risk like Ananias did help us not be afraid to step out because only God knows what's on the other side of that courage souls are at stake help us Holy Spirit would you just tell the Lord now something, say Lord that's that's what I want That's the life I want to live. But now I'm going to go back out in the real world. And I pray you give me grace to do it. In Jesus' name. Let's close this way. And uh, we have one last song and we close our service. And I want to ask you, unless you have an emergency, if you could wait until that song is over. Because in these next few moments, people all around you are making decisions about Christ. This last song, uh, one song and dismiss, but... Uh, well, I'm going to have our prayer team in just a moment come to the front to pray with you about anything. It could be a personal need you missed earlier in the service, or, or maybe something in this message really struck you. Maybe God's asked you to do something, but you're finding it difficult, or maybe you have a burden for someone that doesn't know Christ. Well, whatever it is, if you feel the need for prayer, we'd be honored to pray with you. The most important prayer we'd like to pray for those of you that m- may not have assurance that if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell, because, you see, before I can start doing things to serve the Lord, I first got to get on board. Because there's a, there, there's a truism in life. The Bible says you're not saved by the good things you do. The Bible says you're saved by grace, through faith. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Which that means I cannot do enough good things to go to heaven. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, for one reason and one purpose alone, it was to be a substitutionary death. The cross was the place of punishment, not for what Christ did for wrong, but what I did wrong and what you did wrong. And he atoned for our sins. He made a way. He fixed what Adam broke. And what God asks of us is that we follow him as our Savior. I was raised in church, but raised in church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is by committing your life to Christ. It's by asking for His forgiveness and turning to follow Him. And I wonder if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, you're talking right to me. You might have never made that step or maybe you made it and got off track, but you know today you need to get back right with God and begin following Jesus. We would be honored to pray for you. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to know him as my Savior. Will you just lift your hand so we can pray for you? Come on, just do it quickly here. Have the boldness. God bless you, dear. God bless you too, sir. Just wave your hand at me anywhere else in the building. Say, pray for me. I, I, I want to commit my life to Christ today. Anyone else, just wave at us. We want to pray for you today. All right, listen. Uh, prayer team is coming right now. You that lifted your hands, why don't you come walk up to the cross? Let somebody pray with you there. They want to give you something. Anyone else wanting to commit your life to Christ? We'll see you at the cross, and uh, you need prayer, you come on up, and then we'll dismiss. I love you, and thanks for being here. We'll continue this next week.